But 2 Peter chapter number 1. We'll start in verse number 1. We'll read uh, four verses of uh, this this morning. Cover the entire book of 2 Peter. Uh, calm down. It's only three chapters. Uh, but we won't uh, read it in its entirety, but we'll cover it this morning. If you're glad you're saved, say amen. amen. Thank God for church on Sunday morning. Amen. And uh, <laughs> some people drive by and they look at us like we're crazy. I drive by and I think, what else are you supposed to do on a Sunday morning uh, besides go to church? Amen. And I'm thankful for that. But look at verse number one. The Bible says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Let's pray to Heavenly Father. Lord, I ask you, Lord, this morning, God, Lord, you'd help us one more time from the word of God. Thank you for the song service. Lord, thank you for the many blessings that we have in our life. Or we could sit down this morning and just begin to name them and write them out. And Lord, we begin to be surprised about how long our list really would be. Lord, I'm so thankful this morning, God, that you blessed me the way that you do. Lord, I don't deserve it. I haven't earned any of it, Lord, but I sure am grateful for all of it. Lord, more than just the blessings that I receive and the blessings, God, that are uh, present in my life, Lord, I'm thankful for you. Lord, because without the blessing, or without the blesser, Lord, the blessings really wouldn't be as great as they are. And I ask you, Lord, this morning that you hide me behind the cross of Calvary. Lord, empty me out of myself, Lord, and fill me with the Spirit of God. Lord, I want to say thank you for the visitors and thank you for our members that are here this morning. I pray, Lord, you know what each and every person has and needs this morning. And Lord, more than I could ever dream or imagine, God, I'm asking you, Lord, to use me. Lord, you can multiply bread and fish. God, you can multiply my measly words to be a help and an encouragement and a blessing to those that are here this morning. And I pray, Lord, this morning, God, we'd open up our hearts, we'd open up our ears on purpose, we'd listen on purpose. And God, we'd know that, God, you've prepared something specifically and especially for us. But we love you, we thank you. If there's anybody here this morning, Lord, they don't know you as their precious Savior. Lord, they've never been born again. God, would you save them by grace this morning, change their life and change their eternity. But we love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, and amen. Second Peter is one of those books in the New Testament that normally you kind of flip over trying to get to the book of Revelation, but it's a, it's a letter written from Peter. It's, it's his second letter that he writes, and the first letter tells us who he's writing to. He's writing to believers that have been scattered due to persecution, and I got a study Bible at the house, and uh, I was looking through it, getting things ready for this morning, and that study Bible's got the background information of every book, and uh, there's, there's, it's interesting to me how much I, I don't know and how much I, I have yet to hear, but apparently, as I was reading in my study Bible and the, the background information, there's a lot of controversy when it comes to Second Peter. I didn't know this. I thought that it was just a great, wonderful book in the Bible. Nobody had problems with it. Nobody had issues with it. But my, my Bible, my study Bible said that there's 
there's been a lot of uh, attempts and criticism to disprove and to, to show that Second Peter, they have no issues with First Peter, but they have issues with Second Peter. They question the author. Was it Simon Peter or was it a different Peter that wrote Second Peter opposed to First Peter? They, they, they said, well, the writing styles are different. There's no way that a fisherman could write with such beauty and write with such passion that Peter does here in Second Peter. Can I say this morning, may I remind you that yes, God used men. Matter of fact, Peter says it himself here in Second Peter or in First Peter that God used holy men to write the word of God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The book that we have in our laps and on the pulpit this morning is not just a book that man made up or some things that sound good. It is the very inspired, infallible, perfect word of God this morning. God wrote it. Yes, he moved men and he used men to write it, but it was spoken to them by the Holy Spirit. And we realize, and they'll say, well, there's no way that it's interesting. Your Bible, 40 different authors, we see different personalities. No doubt we see different writing styles. And there's, they'll say, well, there's no way that Peter could write something so wonderful. Here's an interesting thought. I, I came across this and study. They said the average fisherman in Peter's day was trilingual. He said Peter more than likely would have known his his would have known Hebrew because that was his native tongue. That was uh, he was a Jew. That's what they would have spoke at the house and at the synagogue. And he also would have known Greek because that was the language of commerce. That was the language of business. And he the well could have known Latin because that was the language of the government. In the, in the language of the law, and I got to thinking about that, we think we've come so far in 20, we're so highly educated, we're so highly this, that, and the other, and I got to thinking, I grew up watching Ralph Barbie, and as far as I know, he don't even speak English half the time. <laughs> but here, Paul, Peter very well could have been trilingual in his language. I said, well, it's the writing style. It's the, they don't know the author, the authenticity of the letter. And I could see these guys, they take their glasses down at the end of their nose. They, they cross their hands and they say, well, brethren, I regret to inform you that there's some doubt and controversy according to Second Peter. Can I say this morning, if your education causes you to doubt the word of God, your education, you're doing education wrong. Can I say this morning, this book will stand when this world's falling apart. It's forever settled in heaven. Listen, if what you're learning goes against the word of God, what you're learning's wrong, the word of God is not wrong. We do not change the word of God to fit our life, but rather we change ourselves to fit the word of God this morning. And what we see here this morning, so why, preach, why is there such an attack? Why is there such a, a controversy with 2 Peter? I think it's because the general theme of 2 Peter is the word of God dealing with biblical truth, dealing with the authority and the authenticity of the word of God. In essence, if you can disprove 2 Peter, then you can disprove the word of God. If one part's wrong, then you find one error in it, then it's not perfect anymore. But here's what we see if you disprove Peter or 2 Peter and you, you make it a, 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 a not true, it's, and I'm gonna get to this morning, it's true, 100% true this morning, but if you could disprove it, you could disprove the sufficiency of the scriptures, verse number three of chapter number one. According to his divine power hath given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. We talked about it in Sunday school this morning. Your Bible is a wonderful book because within the pages of your, your, your King James Bible this morning is the answer for the questions that you have. Can I say any issue, any problem in life, God either has a verse for it or a principle that can be derived from the verse that can help you with the issues of life. He said it's given to us for all, how many of y'all got some things this morning? Well, preacher, I got some things going on in my life. I got some things going on at the job site. I got some things going on in my family. I got some things going on in my personal life. Can I say I got an answer for your thing? 
It's the word of God this morning. We see the sufficiency of the scriptures. We see the seriousness of Peter. If you go down at verses 12 through 14 of First Peter or Second Peter chapter number one this morning, Peter says, he's talking about, wherefore I, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ had showed me. And this is what he was saying. Peter said, I'm fixing to die. And I'm fixing to die the way the Lord told me I was going to die. You could go back to the Gospels and Jesus did tell Peter that he would die a death that was similar to his. In essence, he would be martyred for his faith, martyred for his preaching, and Peter's about to meet that fate, so to speak. And if I was Peter and if Peter was lying, I think now would be a great time to say, hey, y'all, I was just playing. I really don't believe all those things that I said, but Paul, here is Peter. Peter said, I'm fixing to die, and I don't change a word of my testimony. I don't change a, a, a one thing that God has told me or what God has allowed me to say. We see the seriousness of Peter. Chapter number two, you say, preacher, why, why, why do they want Second Peter out of the Bible? Well, chapter number two is in there. And chapter number two deals in depth with false prophets. Can I say this morning, if I was a false prophet, I'd want 2 Peter chapter number two out of my Bible because it calls me out. It tells everybody what to look for in a false prophet. It would expose them. Chapter number three, verse number 15, we see Peter's solidarity. Brother Jamie said that word Wednesday. I ain't heard that word in a long time. And it brought me back to when they were, they were, there was Rudolph, the original clay animation Rudolph was under controversy. And it was all these different kind of things. It was, it was a, a picture of racism, bigotry. I think it's Rudolph, right? So I, I proposed in my heart that I was gonna stand in solidarity with Rudolph. But here we see that Peter stands in solidarity with truth. Chapter three, verse number 15, Peter is now telling these believers to listen to Paul because Paul is also being used of God to share and to give the word of God, which is interesting because in Galatians chapter number two, Paul and Peter had a disagreement. Not a, a small, it was a public disagreement where Paul stood face to face with Peter and told him he was wrong. But here is Peter now at the end of his life saying, he's not asking for vengeance. He's, he's not trying to shoot down Paul, but rather he's saying, listen, we disagreed on the thing and really Paul, was right, I was wrong. And listen, I, I'm so for the truth that I'm not willing to, 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 to take him out of it because I know God is using him. And so we see here this morning that, that there's this call, and there's this, this controversy to get rid of Second Peter because it deals with the word of God. It deals with truth. And can I say this morning, Second Peter's true. I'm not one of those where I'll take the New Testament and we won't take the Old Testament. I need all the way from Genesis to Revelation. The Old Testament's full of examples. It shows us grace. It shows us mercy. It shows us the faithfulness of God. Listen, Genesis is a beautiful book. Revelation's a beautiful book. Every single one in between them is a wonderful book this morning. I guarantee you, if you just get real serious about this, you'll become, you'll be one of those, what's your favorite book of the Bible? Well, my favorite book of the Bible is the Bible. But it's true this morning. And if it's true, which it is, verse number four becomes real wonderful in 2 Peter chapter number one. Whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises. 
Let me ask you, what good is a promise if it ain't true? What good is a promise if it isn't reality? And since the word of God is true, then we have some great, exceedingly great and precious promises this morning found in the word of God that we can believe and that we can trust. And the more you trust them, the more you study them, the more you uh, learn about them, they won't just become great, but they'll become precious to you. Precious to you. In essence, they'll be dear to you, sincere. Well, preacher, what are these exceedingly great and precious promises? Number one, we have the promise of salvation. Go down to verse number four, chapter number one, it says, whereby are given unto us great and exceeding precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now that word, I was, I've been sending these out in my daily devotionals. We've been in First and Second Peter, and I was reading through that one of the days this week, and Boy, these verses just stuck out to me, and I, it was it was it wasn't coming together. It wasn't it was I, it was one of those where man, that would be a great sermon. It's just not a sermon yet. And I began to study it out and began to look at the entirety of the chapter, and God began to outline some things. And I said, "Good night. This is wonderful. I hope I can get it out like I got it in." But we see this morning that word partaker. Right there in verse number four, the word partaker, it means to share in. It means to be in fellowship with. It means to be a companion of. It means to be a partner with. Can I say this morning, none of us deserve to have any of that when it comes to the one who has divine nature. And that's what we try to say, preacher, we don't deserve to share in the divine nature. We don't deserve to be in fellowship with one who has the divine nature or to be a companion with one who is of the divine nature or to be a partner with one who, or one who, who has the divine nature, who is or possesses divine nature. We don't deserve to be a partner with well, Preacher, what do you mean by that? Because if you're a partner with somebody, that means you both get the reward. In essence, if I go into business with you, we are business partners and our, and our business is successful, we both share in the result. We both share in the profit in that sense. And can I say, I think of that song, said, why should I gain from his reward? I, I don't have an answer for that. I don't know why I get to be uh, and get to receive blessings and gifts from God and, and his, his mercy. I don't understand why I get to it. I'm just glad that I do this morning. And I'm thankful for it. I don't have an answer for the why, but I do have an answer for the how. Preacher, how does one who doesn't deserve to have a part and to be a partaker of the divine nature become a partaker of the divine nature? Well, I'm so glad you asked this morning. What is, uh, what, notice here, he said, uh, verse number three, how does one get a divine nature? Well, there has to be divine power. Look at verse number three. According as his divine power hath given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through knowledge of him that hath called us to glory into virtue. Preacher, in essence, well, what is divine power? That's resurrection power. That's God's power, right? That's, that's real power this morning, the kind of power that a man can get out of the grave by himself. It's saving power. Preacher, what in the world has he promised to save us from? Well, the result of sin. You go down a little bit further, what does it say right there in verse number four? Having escaped the corruption Right, that is in the world. That word corruption this morning talks about a judgment. It talks about destruction. It talks about a bitter end. Can I say Romans 6, 23 is still in our Bible? I know it's not a popular message to preach. We're supposed to make people feel better. We're supposed to pat everyone on the back and say, hey, it's going to be okay. Can I say sometimes it's not going to be a-okay? But because Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. It's still in the Bible this morning. 
Preacher, what do I have to do to go to hell? Just keep doing what you've been doing. Right, the Bible says we are sinners by birth, sinners by nature, sinners by choice. It's not that we are working to be condemned. We are condemned already because of our sin nature and the wages of sin is death. He's not just talking about the physical death there in Romans, but he's talking about a second death, a spiritual death, where one is cast into hell and then eventually into the lake of fire. I say that is the payment and that is the wage of sin this morning, but thanks be to God, Romans 623 doesn't stop at the word death. There's a heavenly conjunction that says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord this morning. Can I say that the, the second death is in hell is a little real place this morning. Preacher, I don't want to go to hell. Great, you don't have to. Why, preacher? Because God gave us a gift. Preacher, what is that gift? He sent his son to die on the cross of Calvary to resurrect again the third day out of the tomb. He's given us resur divine resurrection power this morning. He can save us from the result of sin. Well, I'm so glad this morning. I'm not trying to sound harsh and, and brash and, and try to shock you, but I'm so glad this morning I'm not going to hell. I know that's what I deserve. I know that's what I earned. I know that's where I should be going this morning, but God had a gift, amen. I don't have to go there, neither do you this morning. He has saved us from the result of sin, but he's also saved us from the reason we sin. Look at verse number four. Having escaped the corruption, right, the end result, that is in the world through lust. That word lust is an inappropriate desire. Well, I'm so glad when he saved me, he changed my want to. He changed my desire. He changed the things that I, I, I long for, I want, and my desire. He took that inappropriate lust that I had. I lusted for the things of the world. Listen, I'm no different than you. When I was growing up, all I dreamed about was making money, being popular, being successful, having nice things. Can I say every person that's ever been born of a woman has had those same desires. That was what our old nature desires. But when he saved me, he changed that lust into a right desire. This morning, Matthew 6, Jesus said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Can I say, just like we talked about, we sing about the blessings and we're thankful for them. But can I say, it's far better to pursue the blesser than it is to pursue the blessings. He saved us from the reason why we sin. He changed our lust into a longing. Let me ask you this one. Have you trusted in the promise of salvation? If not, why not? What's your excuse? What's your reason? And if so, Aren't you glad you did? Well, I'm glad to be saved this morning. Notice number one, the promise of salvation. The exceedingly great and precious promise of salvation. And the longer I'm saved, the more precious it becomes. And the greater it becomes in my life. But notice number two, the promise of sanctification. The promise of sanctification. Go down to verse number 19 of chapter number one. Peter says, we, also, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. Verse number 15, there's this, that reality in Peter's life, he's about to die. He's gonna face a martyr's death, be put to death because of his faith and his preaching of the word of God. And he also came to this, this understanding that when he died, his experience died with him. What do you mean by that, preacher? Oh, what do you mean by his experience was going to die with him? Peter had seen God. He had, saw, he had seen the Lord. He had heard God. 
He had heard Jesus speak, but he also talks about it here in 2 Peter, how he had heard Jesus when they're on the Mount of Transfiguration, he calls it the Mount of Glory, and he hears God the Father speaking about God the Son. This is my Son of whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. He had seen God. He had heard God. He had even touched God. Could you imagine what it must have been like for Peter in the experience that Peter had? Preacher, how do you know that he touched Jesus? Let me ask you, who pulled him out of the water when he was sinking? <laughs> Peter realized, I'm fixing to leave this world and my experience is leaving with me. But he said, don't worry, don't fret. You've got something more sure, more, more, more foundational, more, not necessarily more true, but more secure than just my testimony. And since Peter wasn't telling a good story he had heard, he was telling a story. He goes on to say in verse number 19, we were or right there in that, the same chapter, he talks about being an eyewitness to. He had seen the Lord. But Peter knew that something greater than his eyewitness account, verse 19, he said a more sure word of prophecy. Well, who was the source of the prophecy? Verse number 21 tells us. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. God breathed. That's where the word inspired. I mean, we talk about an inspired Bible. We're talking about a God-breathed Bible. And since God spoke the word to man, man pinned it down. And we have God's little word in our hands this morning. And so we all ought to take light. That's why well, this place, all this book ought to have a special place, not just in your house, not just in your car, not just in your, your church pew, but it ought to have a special place in your heart. The Bible doesn't say, thy word have I hid on the church pew, thy word have I hid in my car, thy word have I hid on my coffee uh, table that I might not sin against thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It's holy. Well, what are we supposed to do with a sure word? Notice what he says in verse number 19, take heed, listen to it, Right, and, and taking heed is more than just hearing it. Right now, in essence, y'all, we've shared this illustration before, especially when it comes to raising kids. There's a whole lot of times I hear them, but I ain't listening to them. There's a lot of chatter going on behind me. There's a lot of noise going on behind me. I hear it, but I ain't listening to it. Can I say sometimes that's how it is in our Christian life. God will put a man behind the pulpit with the word of God, and we'll hear him, but we ain't listening we ain't listening to them. That, that word take heed isn't just to hear. It literally means to listen to it and then apply it in our life. In essence, it's great to read your Bible. It's great to study the word of God. But if all you're going to do is read it and not live it, it's pointless. You're missing the point in that sense. We're supposed to heed it. A simple explanation of sanctification is this, applying the word of God to your life. Notice this, sanctification has the following effects. We see it right here, verse number 19. It has an illuminating effect. Notice what it says. It says, you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn. In essence, the more you begin to read your Bible and the more you get, get, begin to apply the word of God, the more you'll realize how dark and how depraved and how, just, how, how sinful we really are, how strong our flesh really is. Can I say the more I, I learn about the word of God, the more I, I allow God's word into my life and I apply it to my life, I begin to realize I'm not as good as I thought I was. I'm not as strong as I thought I was. I'm not as smart as I thought I was. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not the superhero. I'm just someone who's been saved by the grace of God. Here's the thing. It's not always fun. It's not always fun at all. 
when God takes the word of God at that light and he begins to shine it in those dark places in our life. There's a song, I think Brother Ray sings it. It talks about not wanting to deal with that room, not wanting to deal with that compartment, not wanting to deal with that place in our life. Can I say this morning, God wants to take the light of his word and shine it in the dark areas of your life. And we often think that a dark area is something that is some grotesque sin. It's adultery, fornication, drunkenness, all those different kind of things. But sometimes God takes his word and the dark place in your life is anxiety. It's fear. It's doubt. It's discouragement. It's all of these different kind of things and God's trying to take the light. He's trying to shine light into a dark place in your life. And the more you begin to allow it, you realize I got a whole lot more dark places than I like to admit in my life. But that is the process of sanctification. God taking the light of his word and illuminating the dark areas of our life. Well, preacher, when's it going to be done when the day dawns? <laughs> Can I say, as long as you're breathing down here, you are to be in the process of sanctification. We have not yet arrived. What do you mean by that, preacher? Can I say, a flashlight's good until the sun comes up. And there's no need for the light in that sense. The sun has risen. And here what the Bible is telling us, Peter was telling us, that yes, we're to be in the process of sanctification. In essence, God shine the light in the dark areas of my life until I get to heaven. And all things are made new. And all, that, all the change takes place. And I get my, my, my eternal body. I get all that wonderful stuff until we're in a place where there is no darkness. Sanctification has an illuminating effect. But notice this also has an illustrating effect. Look at verse 119. Until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. And the day star arise in your heart. Let me ask you a question. Has the day star arose in your heart this morning? <laughs> I, I don't know, preacher. <laughs> Not quite sure what Peter's trying to say right there. What kind of fisherman talks like that? The day star arise. Who's he talking? He's talking about the Lord. There's an illustrating effect. There's an illuminating effect. As he shines the light into your dark places, they begin to get, become illuminated. At the same time, as you get into the word of God, you begin to see Christ for who he really is. And that day starts, speaking of Christ, arises in your heart. The more you learn about the Lord, the more you realize how great he really is. And then he begins to rise up in your heart and you begin to realize that, that, that not everybody's description of God is correct. Not everybody's description of who he is and what he does is right. And you begin to find yourself in the word of God and finding out he is full of compassion. He is full of mercy. His grace does supply your needs. He is faithful. He is true. He never lets you down. He never fails you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. And the more you begin to learn about him and the word of God, the clearer the picture becomes of him. There's a, uh, a game, I don't remember where it came from, but it was called Guess the Picture. And it would start off with a real blurry picture, real pixelated. And there'd be a clue. It's an object. It's a person. It's a thing. And that thing would slowly begin to come into focus. And the point of the game was to be the first person to guess what the picture was. Can I say, as, a, as competitive as I am, I play that, we, we, we were watching one time on YouTube not too long ago, and there I was, 30-some years old, with two of my kids who are under the teenage years, and in my thought, I've got to beat them. I've got to show them their dad is good at guessing the picture. <laughs> there I was, yelling at the TV screen, it's Mary Poppins! <laughs> 
It's this, it's that. It's, I was guessing the picture. And here's the beautiful thing. The more you get in the word of God, the more you'll begin to see him for who he really is. And that picture will become complete until right now we look through a glass darkly. We live by faith and we see in picture in type of who the Lord is. But one day everything I've seen of him in here will become sight. The promise of sanctification. I don't have the complete picture yet, but I sure am liking what I'm seeing so far. The promise of sanctification. Let me ask you this morning, are you applying the biblical process of sanctification in your life? Are you becoming less like yourself and more like him this morning? And the more, I'm not talking about, the more, here's the thing, the more you become like him, oh, you're gonna become arrogant and prideful. No, you're not becoming like him if that's what you're doing. The more you become like him, you'll find yourself a humble servant. You'll find yourself full of compassion. You'll find yourself with a forgiving heart. You'll find yourself loving people that you would normally say they don't deserve to be loved. You'll find yourself helping people for saying those are people that, 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 that don't deserve help. You'll find yourself being more like him. Let me ask you this morning. Since the beginning of 2023, January 1st, 2023, have you become more like him this year? What about last week? Did you become more like him. We see the great promise, exceeding great and precious promise of sanctification. Then notice number three this morning, we see the promise of security. Skip over chapter number two, false prophets. They're like wells without water, clouds that carried with the tempest. You don't have any positive things to say about false prophets because there ain't really nothing good about them. Then you go into chapter number three, go all the way down to the bottom and go to verse number 17. The great, exceedingly great and precious promise of security. Look at verse number 17. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. How many glad you can grow in grace? Amen. We're talking about the promise of security. Now, you hang out here long enough, you'll find out we believe eternal, the eternal security of a believer around here. Why do, you, why do you believe that, preacher? Because that's what the Bible teaches. Right? It's clear cut there. Once saved, always saved is another way of saying that. I believe that's what the Bible teaches. Right? Once you, once you have received the, the biblical gift of salvation from God through grace and faith, right, we, we know that once you're saved, you're always saved. There's nothing you can do to lose it. There's nothing you can do to uh, no longer earn it. You didn't earn it in the first place. It's a gift. <laughs> and listen, if you want to come to my birthday party and I've got to pay for the gift that you bought me, you're no longer invited. Keep your gift and go somewhere else. Notice here this morning, the security, right? We, we understand that once you're saved, you're always saved. But the Bible does not suggest that you and I can lose our sense of security. In essence, that, or that we can allow fear to control our life. We could be saved on our way to heaven and not living like that. See, fear is a real thing. Being afraid is a real thing. Psalm 56, 3, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Proverbs 3, 25, be not afraid of sudden fear. And we come here in 2 Peter, he said there's two ways. You can lose your sense of security. You'll live in fear, anxiety, doubt, discouragement, right? Those things that, that, that a secure believer ought not to be living. How, preacher? Look at verse 17. First of all, we can be led away. You therefore, beloved, seeing you, also, seeing you know these things, beware, 
lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked. Peter said, listen, y'all got to be careful. You, you, just because you're saved by the grace of God, just because you, you are in love with the Lord at the moment doesn't mean that if you allow every wind of doctrine to come into your life, sooner or later, one of those are going to lead you astray. You won't lose your salvation, but you will not live in the security of it. You will not live in the joy of it. You will not live in the excitement of it. And so talking about the error of the wicked. Can I say our world is full of wicked errors? And it's more than just the big, bold sins, right? We live in a generation where it is no longer what can I do for Christ and how can I serve in his church, but now it is what can the church do for me? It's a wicked error. Because this ain't, this ain't about me and you. It's about him this morning. The wicked error, every single preacher is a liar and a cheat. Can I say that there are some, right? But just because there are some doesn't mean that everyone is that way. Thank God for faithful men. Thank God for true men. Thankful for men who take their calling and their, 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 their ministry serious. They're above board. They're honest with it. But the world will say, oh, you, to, you know that preacher, just, he's just a liar. You might as well get out of that. And he's like, you listen to it long enough, you'll start to believe it. Because Satan will allow you to see something that looks like it's wrong, even though it's not. Let me ask you, was Joseph really dead when his brother showed this coat to his daddy? All preachers are liars and cheats. You deserve it. It makes you happy. There's a lie you'll be led away with. When these voices dictate your thinking, you will be led away. And you'll forfeit your, your, your sense of security. You can be led away. But also this, you can lose, we can lose our attention. Look what it says right there. Fall from your own steadfastness. That's a word that we don't like because it requires discipline. Discipline is never, never a fun thing. In a sense, discipline is never an exciting thing. <laughs> I remember going to ROTC and Gunnery Sergeant Daryl Jones, we called him Gunny. He was former drill instructor at Paris Island when he was in the active duty. And there were some days I, I think he forgot he was no longer on Paris Island. And he would, I'd, I'd watch him, he'd, he'd break down the, the meanest and the toughest guys in the school. I'm talking about just, just vulgar, this and the other. Give them five minutes with Gunny and he'd have them crying. Asking for their mama and their daddy. And I remember saying, Gunny, why, why, do, you, why do you do that? Here's what he said. He said, before you can ever build somebody up, you got to tear him down first. He said, that's how, <laughs> he said, he had a way. He said, big head, he's referring to me. <laughs> well, he said, Tate, never call me by my last name. Never call me by my rank. Always call me by my first name. That's when you got a weird one. That's what they do. Tate, he said, I don't train Marines. I make Marines. Uh, I don't want to be a Marine, Gunny. <laughs> I just want to survive high school. <laughs> But he discipline. I'm talking about we'd march, and if one if one foot was out of order, if one person's hand wasn't fully six inches back, oh, it was on like Donkey Kong. He'd get in our face, chew us out. I mean, he, until we were disciplined, doing what we're supposed to do. 
Can I say this one in our Christian life? We ought to be disciplined Christians. Why? That's what Christ asks of us. That's what he desires from us. That's our great way of showing our love to be disciplined in him. He said, but listen, you, you can lose your sense of security when you lose your attention. You fall away from your own steadfastness. The quickest way to lose your sense of security is to lose yourself. Forget to read your Bible. Forget to pray. Skip out on church. Hang out with your old friends. Do all those things that you know you're not supposed to do. Lose your steadfastness. Stop trusting in the Lord and start trusting in yourself. Preacher, how do I keep that from happening? In chapter 3, verse number 1, Peter said, The second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Let the word of God stir you back up. Let the word of God remind you just how saved you really are and what Christ actually did for you and that yes, as a believer, you'll never lose your salvation and we ought to live like we know that truth. We ought to be steadfast. Let the word of God stir up your pure mind. Let me ask you this morning, are you living a life of faith in security or one of fear and doubt? Preacher, I put a cross out in my front yard during COVID. Faith over fear. That's great. That's wonderful. But where is your faith? And where is your, your sense of security when your world's falling apart? Where is your sense of security when it doesn't make sense or it's not fun anymore? The Bible says we have the promise of security where it's in the word of God. You know, find the promise where I'll, I'll never leave thee nor forsake. I'll always take care of you and let it stir up your mind to everybody wants something new. Preacher, tell me something new. Tell me something excited. Tell me something deep. Tell me something profound, Preacher. Challenge my mind. Peter said, no, stir it back up with remembrance. I don't have anything new to tell you this morning. I don't have anything uh, extravagant to tell you, but what I do have is truth this morning. And it's a truth that'll help you and remind you of the promise of your security as a believer. That you're, once you're saved, you're always saved, and we are to live like we know that truth. Are you living a life of faith and security? or one of fear and doubt this morning. And here's the thing, the more you learn about these promises of sanctification, security, and salvation, the more you realize they are exceedingly great. They're not small. They're, they're simple to understand, but they're not simple in the reality of them. They are grand, they're amazing. They're exceedingly great, and boy, they're precious. They're Boy, they're precious. Well, think about this. Where would you be this morning if God hadn't saved you? If he hadn't saved you. If he hadn't sanctified you, if he hadn't kept working on you, when you left him the last time, what if he just let you go without ever dealing with your heart again? Well, where would you be at this morning if you didn't know for sure you was going to heaven when you died? You did what the preacher said, you did what the Sunday school teacher said, you did what so-and-so said. I said, hey, you're not, you're not sure. It amazes me how many people you talk to. On a, Do you know you're going to heaven when you die? Well, I hope so. I think so. How do you know? What do you mean? Well, I, I think I've done enough. Really, you're, you're willing to face eternity on a, I, I think so? Or I hope so? Listen, I don't face dinner with that attitude. What do you mean by the preacher? I don't get up in the, uh, I'm getting hungry. We're going to eat dinner tonight? I hope so. I think so. <laughs> I know so, amen. <laughs> We're going to figure something out. <laughs> we'll make it work. When it comes to our salvation, it comes to one's salvation, don't settle for a hope so. You can have a no so. And when you know so, it becomes exceedingly great and precious to you. The promise of salvation, sanctification, and security. Let me ask you this morning, what are you doing with these exceedingly great and precious promises given to us through the word of God and given to us from God this morning? Let's all stand this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed.